Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We are in a time of profound change. We are experiencing a pandemic, while at the same time living through uh, significant cultural change, social unrest, and political upheaval. It is a time of amazing, profound, difficult change. Now, most of the time when I teach on change, I talk about leading major change or initiating major change or from the leader's perspective, what do you do when you want to bring change into your organization? I even wrote a book about that, Leading Major Change in Your Ministry. But today I want to talk about change from a different perspective. I want to talk about change from the leader's perspective when change happens to you especially when change happens to you that you don't have any control over or that you have no influence over, that change comes at you from an outside source like is happening right now. So I want to talk today not about you as a leader initiating change or leading change. I want to talk about you as a leader who is experiencing change or what happens to you when change happens to you. So today, five realities when change happens to you. Number one, you will go through a grief process. Now, if you've heard me teach on this before, uh, or you read my book, you know that grief is uh, a part of what people live through when they have change brought into their lives, and grief is the primary part of what I call the transition process, which is the spiritual, emotional, and uh, psychological adjustments people make to implement change or to accommodate change. Now, this is so significant, frankly, that I'm going to do next week's podcast just on the issue of grief management in the context of major change. But today, all I want to focus on is to say to you as a leader that when change happens to you and you're thrown into transition and it happens to you not because of something you did, you are going to experience a grief process. It's a natural part of going through change or living through the transition to implement or accommodate a change. You are also going to experience this kind of grief process. Now you might think, not me, I'm a leader. I'm immune to such things. Well, you may be the leader, but you are still part of the human race. And humans are hardwired to experience change in similar ways. We have a change thrust upon us that puts us into transition, which is the spiritual, emotional, psychological adjustment to accommodate or uh, adjust to change. And that transition involves grief. Now, why is that so? Because grief involves loss. And with every change, there are losses. And when you feel those losses, then you experience grief. Now, that grief expresses itself, as I've uh, said, in various ways. Uh, there are lots of phases or stages of grief that have been described by psychologists over the years. Some say there's five stages, some six, some eight, some 13. I've seen different lists of these. And it really doesn't matter which one of these lists you adopt as your own. I personally use a six-fold model to understand the grief process in the context of change. When a person is going through grief, they experience shock, anger, denial, 
bargaining, exploration, and adjustment. And as I said, I'm going to speak in much more detail about this in next week's podcast. But I just want you to acknowledge today that when change is forced upon you, you're thrust into transition, you will go through a grief process in which you will feel anger, shock, you will practice some denial or some bargaining. Eventually, we hope you'll move to exploration and then adjustment, and you'll make the changes necessary. Uh, now, what kind of losses are thrust upon us as, as leaders? Well, let me give you some examples just from here at the seminary. The pandemic has caused us to uh, change our work patterns and our ministry patterns in some very significant ways. And so I've gone through some losses. Uh, for example, uh, I've lost the interpersonal relationships I have with the people uh, who work closest to me. Uh, one of our vice presidents is in a pretty high-risk uh, category in terms of the pandemic, and so he's been working from home now for almost six months. And uh, I see him occasionally, and I talk with him regularly on the phone, and we have Zoom calls uh, on, a, on a routine basis, but it's just not the same. He's a good friend beyond just a colleague, uh, and so I miss that interpersonal relationship. I've lost that. Here's another loss. Uh, when uh, the pandemic was declared, we had to cancel chapel. Now, we moved it into an electronic format where we had preaching and we sent it out to our, our constituents, and many of them participated that way, and so we had some kind of spiritual substitute, if you will, but yet we weren't able to gather in the chapel. We weren't able to see each other and to stand around afterwards and talk about the message. We weren't able to pray together in small groups or to have uh, funny things happen that we all uh, laughed at as part of our cultural bonding here in working together. We lost that, and I feel that sense of loss. Sometimes at uh, Gateway, we refer to chapel as the president's classroom. It's kind of my place to set a tone or to set some direction or to chart a, a path for the seminary, and that's gone now, and I, I miss that. Uh, here's another sense of loss. We, we haven't had to lay off any employees, but we have had to curtail some work hours, and we've had to change the way that employees are uh, are compensated and supported, and so I've watched them go through that difficulty of making those adjustments, and I, I feel a sense of loss in terms of their being, not being here every day or being able to do the work uh, that they were previously uh, able to do. You get the idea. Ministry leaders feel a sense of loss. Uh, and I'll give you another example. Going back a few years when the seminary relocated from Northern California to Southern California and changed its name from Golden Gate to Gateway, I was at the forefront of leading that change. And so, yes, there was a, a lot of that that I initiated, and uh, it was the basis for the book that I wrote and all of that. But there were aspects of that that happened to me over which I did not have any control. Uh, for example, one of the things that we lost was our church relationships in San Francisco. And while those were meaningful to me, they were incredibly important to my wife. And so moving here, we lived through that sense of loss. And I, I saw my wife going through that. And then because of her difficulty and pain in all of that context, I felt a sense of loss because of what I was losing or felt like I was losing because of what the move had done for her. On and on I could go. When change happens to you as a leader, you will experience transition, and a part of that is going through a grief process. You will experience shock, anger, denial, bargaining, exploration, and adjustment, and you must be willing to face these realities in your life and work on them 
just as you would encourage your followers to do if you were leading them through a major change process. So step one, recognize it happens to you just like it happens to everyone else and you have to manage it well. Second, when change happens to you, you will process that change and the transition you live through. You will process that change emotionally more than rationally, logically, or factually. Now you may say, again, not me. Not me. I'm Mr. Logical. I'm Miss Factual. I'm Ms. Uh, Rational. Well, no, you're not. Uh, you may be rational, logical, factual about many things in life, but when something touches you deeply, you will react emotionally just like everyone else. And you will go through an emotional process of having to adjust to the change and live through the transition. And acknowledging that and recognizing that is a very vital step to helping you deal with what's happening to you in the moment. Learning to recognize the emotional aspects of change is important both for a leader in terms of giving leadership to others, but also it's important for a leader in terms of receiving or understanding how to deal with the feelings that come along with the changes and the losses that you're experiencing. You know, one of the best examples of this that I've ever seen happened a number of years ago uh, when I was getting ready to be elected the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. I was going to be voted on to be the new executive director on a Wednesday. On that same week, on Monday and Tuesday, uh, the convention hosted a major evangelism conference. And that year, coincidentally, not caused by me by any, in any way, but that year the convention decided for the first time to really move aggressively into what was then called contemporary music. Now, I know this is a little bit of a dated illustration, but some of you may not remember there were days in churches where we used very traditional music, hymns, uh, pianos, organs, all of that. And the Christian music change that brought about, or the contemporary music change that brought about the big di differences in worship today were just starting about the time I was elected executive director. And the convention leadership made the decision to, to really change the music at this conference for the very first time. Now, first of all, I sat there watching this thinking, I am going to be blamed for this. People think this is because of me, and I'm not even elected yet. And it was kind of uh, interesting that God put that coincidental thing together, if you will. Uh, but nevertheless, that was one of my thoughts. But the second thought I had was during the first session on Monday afternoon, you could feel the tension in the air. Now, the first session of an afternoon conference for a denominational meeting typically attracts an older crowd. Uh, the younger pastors tend to get there later in the day and be there for the evening sessions, etc. But the earlier crowd on a Monday afternoon was an older crowd, and they were having this very contemporary worship band, I'll say it this way, inflicted on them. And they were all just standing there respectfully, because that's what you do during worship services. You stand up and sing, but they weren't singing. They were just standing there, just staring at the stage with big eyes, thinking, what in the world is happening right now? Well, the worship set ended and everyone sat down and the speaker, who happened to be a person from Golden Gate at the time, he walked up on the platform and this is what he said. He said, uh, I sense that for many of you, this music was very difficult. And there was a, a nervous 
uh, little twittering laughter that went around the auditorium, you could tell he had diagnosed it exactly right. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of shock. There was some denial. There was a lot going on in that service, and he recognized it. But rather than get up and give a theology lecture about worship or get up and give a a hard-hearted sermon about repenting or about going into the future or about doing what needs to be done to reach people, he didn't do any of that. Instead, this is what he said. I I sense that many of you are, are, are having a difficult time with this music. And there was this twittering laughter that I said. And then he said this statement. He said, I know it's difficult for you, but I'd like to ask you this question. Would you be willing for your church to have this kind of music if every Sunday your grandchildren woke up early and said, Grandma and Grandpa, hurry, we've got to get to church. Would you be willing to learn to enjoy this kind of music if it meant your grandchildren would embrace the gospel and become vital parts of the church in the future? Well, you could feel literally the tension drain out of the room because the leader had the good sense to engage people in in the context of major change being thrust upon them to engage them emotionally, not logically, factually, or rationally. Listen, whether you are giving leadership or whether you are trying to manage your own response to a major change situation, recognize that it will fir- that the response from others and from you will first be an emotional response. And learning to address that and in your life learning to admit it is a huge step toward effectively dealing with people as they struggle with or grapple with change and transition that's been thrust upon them. You are not exempt from making an emotional response to change. You are not exempt from feeling frustrated, angry, disappointed, uh, from feeling powerless. You are not exempt from these feelings just because you're a leader. And when change happens to you, recognize that your first response is going to be an emotional one, and you have to acknowledge that and deal with those emotions. Now, that doesn't mean that's your best response, or is, nor that it's your last response, but it is your first response and a response you have to be in tune with and capable of dealing with before you can move on and grappling with or managing the change at hand. Number three. A third reality when change happens to you is that you will resist the change based on your perception of the significance of the change. You will resist the change based on your perception of the significance of the change. Now, if you have a piece of paper, write down these words in in a descending order on your paper. Mission, vision, values, structures, goals, methods, and actions. Let me give you those again. Mission, vision, values, structures, goals, methods, actions. Now, as you look at that list written down uh, in a column on your paper, recognize this. If change is thrust upon you, and all you're asked to change is an action, you will not likely have much resistance. But if you're asked to change a structure, you're going to have a significantly greater amount of resistance 
And if you're asked to change something at the vision or mission category, you are certainly going to experience a high level of resistance to that change. What's going on in our world right now in terms of the pandemic, if, the, if all they were asking you to do was change an action, like wear a face mask, that would be relatively simple to respond to. But when the government says you can't go to church, now they're threatening your vision or your, for your life and your mission as a Christian. Now that becomes much more difficult to manage. Now, this podcast is not about whether you ought to wear a mask or whether you ought to go to church. This podcast is about leading and managing your own response to change. And all I want you to see is that there are some levels of change that are just simple actions, and there are other levels of change that rise to things like values or, stru or structures or even vision or even mission. And as we go up the ladder, so to speak, in this list of words I've given you, as you go up the list or up the ladder, your resistance to change is going to intensify. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, let's suppose that your church has a Bible teaching program, a Sunday school, and you need uh, next Sunday, uh, because of a special program that's going on in your church or a special meeting that you need to have or just for some reason like that, you need to change the timing of your Sunday school so that it meets for 10 minutes less. And so you contact all your teachers and say, instead of meeting from 9.30 to 10.30, we're going to meet from 9.30 to 10.20, giving us 10 extra minutes between the Sunday school and the service because we have this special activity that's going on this one Sunday, so please accommodate this changed action where we take 10 minutes off the teaching time. You might get a little bit of griping, but you're not going to get much resistance to that kind of change because all you're doing is changing a simple action. You're making a one-time change to the schedule that isn't going to be repeated, and it's just asking people to accommodate some special need or some special event, a small change of an action. But suppose you went back to your Sunday school and you said to your leaders, uh, we're going to change your teaching method. Uh, we want to start incorporating some video instruction into your classroom. So we're going to buy these videos. They're five to ten minutes long. We're going to teach you how to use them, and each week you're going to show some video to augment or support your Bible teaching plan. Now you're going to get a little more resistance to that because now you're changing a teaching methodology. You're striking a little more at the core of what goes on week by week by week in the class, and you're striking at the core of how a person sees themselves or identifies themselves as a teacher and the preferred teaching methodologies they like to use. You're also going to get some pushback because you're going to have to have people learn how to, to learn how to use technology and depend on technology and have the technology set up and ready to go each week. All of that is a part of changing a method. Now look at the list I've given you. Changing an action, nah, not too much resistance. Now you've moved it up to method. You're changing a method, you're going to get a little bit more resistance to that. Now let's move it up higher on the ladder to structures. Let's suppose that you say to your Sunday school, we're going to change the Sunday school structure. We're going to change the organizational plan. In the past, we've had classes that met uh, as couples, men and women meeting together for Bible study. Now we're going to divide that. We're going to put the men in one class and the women in another class. We're going to change the structure of how we do Sunday school. Well, you're going to get a significantly greater amount of resistance to that change. You're not changing an action or a method. Now you're changing the entire structure, and that structural change is very significant, and you're going to get even greater change. Well, you get the idea. Let's take it one step further. Let's say that you've always had a Sunday school or a Bible teaching program that focused on Bible instruction or Bible teaching. But now you want to shift the focus of that program to fellowship and outreach. 
So you want to move it from Sunday morning in a Sunday school time to home groups that focus on fellowship and outreach and service in communities. Oh yes, they'll have some Bible study, but it won't be the focus of Bible teaching like it has been in the classroom setting on Sunday morning. Now you're changing the mission of your Sunday school, and you can expect the highest level of resistance to that kind of change. Now, uh, let me be clear. That doesn't mean you don't make the change. It just means you recognize that as you go from action to method to structure and all the way up to vision, as you go up the ladder, the level of intensity and resistance to change is going to increase. Now, the same thing is true for you. When a change is thrust upon you and it only asks you to change a simple action, that's really not that difficult. But when that change asks you to change a method or a structure, or even your mission, it becomes much more difficult to assimilate. And sometimes these things can, uh, can appear to be one level of change, but are actually unmasked or revealed as a higher level of change because of the response that we're making to them. Because of the response that we're making to them. Like, for example, in our culture right now, there's some discussion going on about whether people should kneel for the national anthem. And some would say, it's a simple action, just kneel. It's not that big a deal. Show some support. But others would say, no, uh, I have given my life in service of our country. I, I'm, I'm a devoted military leader, or I have relatives or people that I know well who've actually died in defense of this country. I, I can't, I can't, kneel because it cuts across the mission of who I am as a defender of freedom and an advocate for freedom in our world. And so what looks like a simple action to some is actually a threat to mission for others. That's why these, er these issues become very controversial and very divisive because people have very different perspectives on what's really happening and why it's so difficult to accommodate. So for you, when change is thrust upon you as a leader, you have to have the wisdom and the discernment to see what's really being asked of you, what level of change you're being required to make, and understand that your level of resistance may be tied to the kind of change you're being asked to make. And by diagnosing that, you can more quickly move to accommodate or adjust as needed. Number four, when change is thrust upon you, you will likely make the changes required, but that does not mean the transitions, the emotional, spiritual, psychological adjustments will not be difficult to manage. Now, I've already alluded to this earlier in the podcast, but I'll just say it again this way. You're human, and just because you're a leader doesn't mean that change is always easy for you. I know that people look at me as a change agent, a change leader. In fact, this week and next week, I'm speaking both by Zoom and face-to-face -face in conferences on the subject of leading major change. I'm not the expert on that by any means, but I get asked to speak on it a lot, and people think of me as an expert in that area, someone with a lot of experience in leading change. And so the assumption would probably be made, well, Jeff is so good at leading change, he's probably really good at accepting or living through change. Well, because of what I've learned through a lifetime of leading change, I'm better at managing the transitions that come with change than I used to be. But I want to be honest with you. Change, which throws me into transition, 
which creates an emotional response within me, which can be threatening, whether it's an action or a structure or a mission, depending on the level of threat that I'm experiencing, all of that is still challenging for me. And it's going to be challenging for you too as a leader. Now, what do you do about that? Well, you study change, you learn about it, and you personalize it. Leaders often spend a lot of time focusing on learning how to lead others through change without applying those same principles uh, for the, to, the, to themselves or for themselves. Look, when change is thrust upon you, it's going to be just as hard for you as it is for anyone else. When your child goes away to college, it's going to be just as hard on you as it was on your church members who had the same experience. When your spouse loses her job or loses his job, it's going to be just as hard for you as it was for anyone else when that was thrust upon them. When you have a health crisis and you lose your health and that change is thrust upon you, it's going to be just as hard for you as it is for anyone else. So learn to personalize and apply what you know about leading change for others and recognize the same things have to be applied for yourself. And then finally, when change is thrust upon you, your change tolerance will usually be in proportion to the relational trust you have of the people who are causing your change or the people who are living through the change with you. Relational trust. Now again, we spend most of our time as leaders thinking about how we can earn the trust of people and gain the trust of our followers and have a high trust ratio or a high trust quotient or high trust levels in our accounts with them so that when we lead, we can draw down on those resources and because they trust us, they will follow us. Now turn that around. You will follow through a change process in proportion to the trust you have in the people who are leading you through the change or the people who are giving you information about how to manage that change. We see that so much happening in our culture right now. The level of trust you have in governmental leaders, in uh, political leaders, in medical leaders is determining really how you're responding in this pandemic situation. And so recognize that your trust level is going to impact your capacity to manage change. And so you need to find sources that you trust in terms of governmental leaders, political leaders, medical leaders, and information sources that you trust that give you data that you say, I really believe this and it's the best response I can make and I can manage this change because I now have some trustworthy information to help me do that. Look, the level of trust we have really does impact our capacity to manage and deal with change. And just like other people have to learn to trust you in order to follow you through change, you then have to learn how to trust and find trustworthy sources so that you can follow through in change in your life. No matter what happens to you in the context of major change, you will experience it so much like everyone else around you. When change is thrust upon you, you'll go through a grief process, you'll process change emotionally, you'll resist change based on your perception of the change, you'll make changes but the transitions will be very difficult to manage, and your change tolerance will be in proportion to the relational trust you have in the situation. All the things you've learned about leading others through change, self-teach them, self-direct them, self-apply them right now as you're managing change that's thrust upon you. If you don't get anything else out of this podcast, walk away knowing that you're human 
and that you're going to respond to change the same way everyone else does and that you have to use all the resources you have about leading others through change to provide some self-direction and some self-leadership to get you through this challenging time. I know you can do it. You can apply these principles in any context of change, including when change is thrust upon you. And as you apply them well, you can lead on.